Let's turn together to Mark chapter 2. Thanks, Cody, for putting that, uh, that first set together. There is a theme of neediness in that last song, especially. Um, and that's going to continue into the sermon uh, in, a, in a way that I hope we can all relate to and identify with. Uh, this past week in community group, the text that the groups kind of walk through is what we're going to walk through tonight as well, and so I'll be kind of re-emphasizing some of the same points and maybe looking at some others, but um, when it comes to life as a family, uh, even in a church like, like this that's really, you know, we're not a huge church, but we're big enough to where we, you know, we couldn't do things in a group this size all the time in a, in a way that allows us to know each other and be known by each other in the ways that it seems that the Bible points to being very important for the church. And so, just like uh, most churches, we, we gather in a large group like this, but then we like, split off into smaller groups and um, meet together, and uh, that interaction looks different than the big group interaction. Um, both are important, and both serve some pretty, uh, some pretty awesome purposes for us, but... Um, for years, I mean, we were, we'll make 10 years old in February as a church start, uh, which is crazy. And then, but then we were a college ministry for like eight years before that. And for the first year or maybe year or two, we just met and had like a worship service and that was it. And then uh, we were all college students at the time and, and God really started to impress upon us the importance of uh, getting together in smaller groups and uh, that way you can't hide you know, that they, it's real easy to hide in crowds sometimes. And even if you feel a part of the big crowd, it's still, you're still not maybe being known and you're maybe not knowing other people. And so for a long time, this uh, church plant that was a college ministry has been exp- like really trying to sink a lot of energy into uh, the small group gatherings that uh, make up the larger group gathering. Um, and so in a and, and I've used the like the like Voltron illustration before that that's kind of what happens you know on Sundays we're like the big Voltron and the other days we're the you know the other the smaller Voltrons I don't know how to explain that but um, that's uh, just a very very important dynamic and one thing that that you know this was the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina and uh, one of the things that uh, there are a lot of things that the church learned, the, uh, the Christian presence in South Louisiana and South Mississippi. Um, we learned a lot of things the hard way. Um, and there was a part of that is how your building does not define you. A lot of church buildings were wiped off the map, just like homes and uh, schools and other kinds of things. And so if a church finds its whole identity in the building that they meet in, then what happens when that gets you know, wiped out? Uh, well, that's why we don't have a building, I guess, so we don't find our identity in it. I don't know. But um, that's one thing that like, churches really have to be careful about because you can really find that, uh, find that um, understanding of who we are and what we do based on like, this physical building that you gather in when really the Bible never talks about church buildings. They didn't even have church buildings. When the church was the strongest it's ever been, there were no buildings. 
they just had one another and they had Jesus in their hearts and that is when the church flourished. And so um, coming out of the hurricane, a lot of churches realized that, you know, it's just a building. What's important is our people. And you had churches that were trying to locate their people and where they kind of fled to and who, who they could find and who they couldn't find. And it was traumatic in, in a lot of ways. But when those churches began to rebuild, I think they rebuilt with a different sense of what makes up the church. And it is the people. And so for us, our gatherings on Sunday are very important. And also our gatherings in small groups are very important. And I think this story, uh, it, it's clicked with me for a long time, and I've, I don't think we've ever used it in small groups, but um, from what Meg was telling me, Meg Kelly is our staff member that oversees all the community group ministry, and she said she got a lot of good feedback from people that were like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Um, and so I kind of want to bring the sermon version of that to the table. Um, and so we're, I'm going to read the story. I'm just going to pull out kind of three observations from the story that help us all make sure we're on the same page about why community groups are like biblical and important and necessary. And so if you're in a group, I hope that we're all kind of syncing up. If you're not in a group, I hope this draws you, draws you out and makes you want to be a part of one, because uh, we would definitely love for that to happen. Uh, let's read the story. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days... It was reported that he was at home. So he is Jesus. And he has returned to... Uh, Jesus is... His home. His true hometown is Nazareth. But his ministry was uh, kind of surrounded the Sea of Galilee. And the town of Capernaum was like his home, his home base for ministry. Um, and so he had, he had been out ministering and, and preaching and uh, performing a lot of miracles. And he made his way back home. And when he got home, word was out that he was there, and the crowd started to gather. Uh, verse 2. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down... They let, let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned, uh, that, <laughs> perceiving in his spirit, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So in this story, there's some things that we need to be unified in, in our minds, in our hearts, and in our, um, our whole approach to life together as a, as a family. And I use that word a lot. Our, um, like the, the terminology, I believe, from the scriptures describes a covenant group of people together as a, as a family. 
And so in that term, we need to understand if the family is about some things, we need to all be on the same page about it. So here are three things from this story that I think are very important for us to all understand. Um, the, the first one is this, that the goal is to get to Jesus. In the first three verses, it says that he returned home, and everyone found out he was home. Many gathered, gathered together, and there was not enough room in the house wherever, wherever they were. Um, everyone is trying to get to him. And I bet some of their motives were maybe not 100% pure. They probably heard that he performs miracles, that he's this uh, like increasingly popular teacher. He's maybe becoming kind of a, a celebrity of sorts in, in that day and age. Uh, probably a lot of curiosity, a lot of maybe just wanting to be where the, crowd, the crowds are. But there were people there who were interested in what he had to say. Jesus was preaching that the kingdom of God had come near to them, that they, they didn't have to live uh, the way that they had been living anymore, that God himself had something for them. Um, and they were curious about this. And then in the midst of him teaching, he is healing people. And when he's healing and performing these miracles, especially these physical miracles, what Jesus is doing with a physical miracle is he is showing that... that um, this is not the way things should be. And he is the one that has the authority to set things right. And so as he's doing that, he's not just going around being a nice guy and healing people. He's saying, no, sin, sin has broken our physical bodies. And Jesus has the power to heal our physical bodies. And so with every miracle, they're getting to see the kingdom of God on display. And so people knew, whether their motives were pure or not, they needed to get to him. They, did, they, didn't want to, they couldn't be on the outside. They couldn't be far from him. They were, they were needing to get closer to him. So here's Jesus. He's been out preaching and ministering and doing all these things. And he get, gets home, and he's probably deserving of some rest. And uh, the crowd starts showing up. And so what does he do? Um, it says that he had been preaching the word to them in verse 2. And then they came, verse 3, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. There was a determination to get to Jesus because they understood something that we all must also understand. That every single thing that we have in life, everything about us is 100% needy that we need to get to Jesus. You have to get to Jesus for your salvation from sin. You have to get to Jesus for your everyday maturing and growing and sanctification. That every moment of every day we're needing to get to Him. That that is the goal. Several years ago I heard the the New Orleans Seminary president uh, make a statement that I've never forgotten and I've used it like a lot here. He said, Jesus Christ has the power to change any human life. And he was speaking to a room full of of ministers who were being trained, and he just kept saying that. Jesus Christ has the power to change any human life. And he looked at us in this really great, like, like kind of wise old owl kind of way, and he said, if you don't believe that, you need to find something else to do with your life. And the room was just so stunned and silent for a few minutes. The magnitude of that statement, but the, the depth of that belief that Jesus has the power to do any, anything in anyone's life at any point, that no one has messed up too much, no situation is too far gone, there's no one who's outside the bounds 
of what he can do. That he is that powerful and he is that gracious and he is that kind and he is that loving and he is that amazing. And we got to get to him. In this story, they, they understood that. We got to get to him. When your feet hit the ground in the morning, you need to get to him. Before you go to sleep at night, you got to get to him. As you're driving to work, as you're getting the kids on the school bus, as you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, every single moment of every single day, getting to Jesus, that is the goal of our lives. Why? Because he is our source of life. He is everything that we need. And at no point are we an exception to that. And you know what's beautiful about that? Jesus left our earth. He ascended so that the Spirit of God could come and dwell in each of us. The Bible says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And because Christ in you is the hope of glory, that there's this literal union between you and Jesus that happens. These guys, they, had to, they heard he was in town. They had to like come up with a plan, get over to the house. They get to the house. They can't get in the house. They end up cutting a hole in the roof. We'll talk about that in a second. They had to physically get to him. For you and I, Jesus is nearer than we can ever imagine because we're at one with him. We just sang a song that said that. Christ is risen from the dead. Remember that, that song? We are one with him again. There's a unity that's there. So... When your feet hit the ground in the morning and your goal is, i got to get to Jesus, you don't have to like plot a course to him. For he is closer than a brother. He is in you. He is with you. So getting to Jesus for us is really it's a, it's a, this, uh, this mental understanding, this shift of realizing exactly who he is and where he is. He is in us. He is... Around us, he goes before us and behind us and hymns us in on the left and the right, that everything is there. But a lot of times the disconnect is our, just kind of our own like self-absorbed existence. you know. So the goal for us is to get to Jesus. This makes prayer, this makes the Bible, it makes all spiritual disciplines, it makes abiding, it, it makes any sort of relational tie to him even more important and, and even more amazing than in times when you're like, I don't really feel like Jesus is with me. Well, you have this Bible that you can open up and begin to read, and when done in faith, it's just this reminder, like, yeah, I just got to Jesus. I was already with Jesus. I just didn't really realize it. But now my brain has caught up with my reality. Now I'm with him. And he is what I need. Jesus looks at us and he says, you need me. And we are to respond, yes, Lord, we need you. There's this understanding of all that. So the first thing, the goal is to get to Jesus. Look at verses 3 and 4. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. There's the second point. Is sometimes we need help getting to Jesus. Sometimes we just need some help. There are times when... Getting to him is something that you are able to do. You're in a good spot, you know. 
So getting to Jesus is, at times is just not, it's not difficult. It's, I don't know, it's just the, His grace and just making that something that we're able to do. But all of us sometimes need some help. That's why He's put us in life with one another. That's why He's grouped us up in families of faith, in these like covenant church families. And some people think that it's terrible that there's like so many different churches everywhere, but I think it's kind of amazing. You think one church could reach a city this size? No. There's no way. It takes a bunch of different churches, a bunch of different styles, you know. We have a music style that's it is what it is, and other places have a music style that's like much more traditional, or there's maybe an orchestra or a choir or an organ or something like that that's going on. And other places it's like really like folky, and other places they don't even use instruments, you know, those whatever. Different churches with different personalities, reaching different people with different personalities. And all grouped up together, living life together. Why? Because none of us can get to Jesus all the time, just on our own. Sometimes we need some help. And so he's put us in these families to take care of each other, to help one another, to encourage you to get to Jesus, and when you need some help, to help carry you. Like They literally carried this guy to Jesus. And so there, there are two things kind of within this point like, that I think are worth highlighting. We don't know, uh, this story is also in two of the other Gospels, and in none of them do we, under, do we know the dialogue that led to this situation between these five friends. So it could only really, in my mind, be one of two things. Either the paralytic man looked at his friends and said, Hey, I need some help getting to Jesus. Or his four friends talked amongst themselves and went to him and said, Hey man, uh, you're going to need our help to get to Jesus. Somewhere that conversation was initiated, and we don't know who. And I kind of like that we don't know who. Because there are times when both of those things need to be happening in our lives and in our communities that we live in uh, with one another. That there are times when you can identify with the man on the mat. And you, you want to get to Jesus, you know that you need to get to Jesus, but you have no idea how that's going to happen. You just don't know. And you have to have the courage, the humility, the, the, the willingness to be vulnerable, the whatever, whatever it takes to be able to look at your friends and say, I need your help. And if you're too prideful... Or if you're too busy worrying about your reputation or you're too caught up in whatever. Then you're going to sit there on that mat, so to speak. And you're going to live in a way that comes up short of the abundant life that Jesus died for you to have. And so let me encourage you in community life with one another. If you're the guy on the mat, humble yourself and ask for help when you need help. There really is not much that's going to shock us anymore, let's be honest. I mean, you, if, if, I were to, if I were to make a list, and so, at some point I want to make a list. In ten years as a church plant, of all those just like, just the bizarre, crazy stuff 
that we've dealt with, like on one end of the extreme, you know. And then all the like really normal stuff, normal church things that every church kind of battles on the other end. And then all the kind of middle of the road things. I don't think that, we, that this church family is really shocked or surprised or appalled or, or turned away by much anymore. We've been through some messy, ridiculous things together. We've shed a lot of tears as a, as a family. We've walked through some really, really dark times. We've also had some really, really good times and celebrated some huge victories and recoveries. And so the whole spectrum of emotion and human experience, I feel like we have, have covered so much to the point where I just can't think of, of anything that someone's going to uh, come into and sit down with me and like confess that I'm just going to be like completely flabbergasted by, you know. And in a, in a context of grace, that should draw us into the light. When you, when you, know, when you know how something is going to be received and handled and processed, and uh, when you know that's the, the environment, that draws you out of the shadows and into the light. And it, it should encourage us to be honest and to confess things and to admit when we need help or when we've messed up somehow or you know whatever it might be and so i would encourage you to look at the track record of the people around you look at the track record of a church that has struggled and really like just a bunch of like grace junkies in this church right we we're like it's just constant that's all that we know now and with each experience and with each confession and with each difficult time, we learn so much about the goodness of our God and the, how much sin has broken us and, and how, how amazing He is in like, like restoring us and putting us back together and healing and mending things. And so in the ways that, that you can relate to the man on the mat, whether you're there now or you're going to be there at some other point, please... Fix your eyes on Jesus and His grace and the graciousness with which He is forming His church. And I hope this church is the kind of church where you know it's okay to confess things and live a messy life. And let Him draw you into the light and just ask for help from the people around you. You're in a community group, hopefully, and every time those groups get together, we talk about the... Like the first, like the great commandment to love God with our entire life and how that's going. We talk about the second commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves. We, we get into the word together. We share life. And when something crazy happens, you got these people who are ready to walk through it with you so you're not by yourself. And when you're the man on the mat and you're like, I know I need to get to Jesus, but I don't know how. Will you help me? There are people who have already said yes to that. So sometimes you're the guy on the mat. Other times you're, you're one of the friends. And sometimes that's equally a difficult place to be. When you're looking at someone's life and you can tell that they're flailing, you know something isn't right. You just, like maybe God shows it to you. Maybe you're just like using common sense. You know, Someone needs help. Sometimes you just have to go to them and you have to tell them, like, hey, we're about to help you. I don't know if these friends went to their friend on the mat and they were like, hey man, would you, would you, like, would you like some help, you know? Or if they were like, hey, we're going to help you. 
I didn't really give him a chance to like, oh, no, 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 no. I think I'll be okay. I kind of think it was, it was that one. Because that's how we have to be with one another. We have to be courageous enough to go in and say, we know you're not okay and we're going to help you. And even if the only thing you let us do is pray for you, which is the most powerful thing we can do for you, by the way, then we're going to do that. And if you give us more steps, we're going to help take them. That we need to be the kind of community that is willing to cut the hole in the roof to get our friends to Jesus, if that's what it takes. They weren't deterred by uh, the, the circumstances or the situation. They could have been, but they weren't. And then they got real creative, you know. Whatever it takes to get one another to Jesus, we're going to do that. And so maybe it's confrontation, you know. And maybe, maybe there's an intervention that needs to happen. And maybe it's like praying for one another. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's following up. And maybe it's dropping what you're doing and driving over to someone's house and just sitting with them for a while or whatever it is. But don't you think that helping someone get to Jesus is worth whatever, whatever it costs for us? It absolutely is. What a gift that Jesus has given us to put us in community with one another. Sometimes it would seem like asking for help or, like, or forcing your help on someone else or whatever would seem insulting or insensitive or something like that. No. Sometimes we would think that asking for help is like, it's too, it, it, it looks, it's weakness. You know, we should be able to do things on our own. No. You're never stronger than when you're humble. You're never, there's, there's no more strength you're going to exhibit than whenever you say, hey, I love Jesus enough to know I need to get to him. And I know that that's what I need to do, and I just need some help. Will you help me? That's a strong man. That's a strong woman that's willing to say that. And so if getting to Jesus is the goal, we all need help sometimes getting to him. And we're here to help each other, and we're here to ask for help, and we're here to figure it out together. That's why he's put us in community together. You're not ever alone in this. And a lot of people live in the shadows, and they live with secrecy, and they just live on an island, and that's not how we were made. Last thing. Look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith... He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then look at verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. In verse 5, we see the, the important like, key factor in this whole deal. That Jesus saw their faith, and he responded to, uh, to that in a way that um, no one really understood until he just kind of had to explain it to them. So he saw their faith. So getting to Jesus is the goal. We all need help getting to Jesus sometimes. So how do we show Jesus our faith in Him. Like once you're there, 
you know? That's an important thing in community as well. Because you, you can pray for someone and not really have faith. You can carry them to Jesus and not really believe that he's going to do anything about it or will. You just, this is kind of the right thing to do. We can commit really, uh, really churchy actions with one another in ways that are completely void of faith and trust. Or we can get to Jesus and show him just how much we believe that he really does have the power to change any human life. He looked at him and he knew. And maybe when he's sitting there teaching and the, the hole starts like being like peeled back in the wall and like someone's like lowered down, and maybe he was like, okay, I get it. Maybe it takes extreme things like that, but he looks right at our hearts. He knows exactly what's going on. Let me throw out five, five things about displaying our faith to Jesus for ourselves and for each other. The first one is, is prayer. That the prayer of faith make, can make the sick person well. That our prayers of faith for one another uh, are, are the most powerful thing that we can do on one another's behalf. That we need to pray for each other, we need to pray with each other. I know that some of our, our groups, uh, or probably all of our groups have experienced this at some point, when, when you're in your group time and people are sharing and sharing and sharing, and somebody says something, and the group just calls a time out, and are like, hey, we're going to stop, we're going to pray for this person right now. That shows Jesus something very important. That shows Jesus, like, hey, as a group, we have, we have the faith to know that this is, like, you are needed in this situation. There's, we, can't do, we can't do what this person needs. But you can. And so we cannot underestimate what praying for someone and praying with them. Stop them. Pray with them. Type out a prayer. Email it to them. Text it to them. Pray for them and don't tell them. Because sometimes we just like to get the the holy, pious credit for praying for someone. Right? Whatever it needs to look like. When Jesus sees the faith of his children, he responds to it. It changes the situation. If no one is praying and, and seeking godly wisdom about something, and then one person begins to do it, that's a completely different situation than it was when no one was doing it. And if a community group of 12 people, if they are all praying for something, then that's a different situation than no one praying for it either. And he responds to the situation. And that shows him that we have faith. And so maybe us praying for one another is the equivalent of being willing to like, cut a hole in a roof and lower our friends down. Maybe that's the same thing. It takes a lot of faith to pray. Second thing would be persistence. Back in January or February, we talked a lot about ask, seek, knock. Asking, uh, it will. Uh, was it ask? It will be given to you. Seeking, you will find. Knocking, the door will be open to you. The persistence of knocking. That that shows our faith as well. When we don't just ask one time. The friends, they could have been like, man, there's a lot of people there. It might be kind of awkward. Can we rip a hole in someone else's like, rooftop? Like, is that allowed? Do we need to ask permission or get a building permit? Or like, what do we need to do? They were not deterred by the situation or by the frustration that was there. There was a persistence. And so, again, maybe if praying for, 
for someone is, is the equivalent of cutting a hole in a roof, maybe continuing to pray for them is also just as powerfully communicating something to Jesus, that we really believe He has the power to change our lives. And then maybe that's an effective way that we carry people to Jesus. The third thing, uh, just refuse to just put a band-aid on stuff. One of the, one of the powerful things about this story is that you know, Jesus, uh, he saw their faith, and he said, your sins are forgiven. They, they're lowering a guy down on a mat. A man who is paralyzed and cannot get to Jesus. And he is so moved by their faith, he forgives their sins. The guy is still paralyzed. Jesus was like not just going to put a band-aid on something. He's going he's to get to like the real deep issue of what's happened and what has caused this. Sin is what has led to all of our bodies being broken in various ways to various degrees. So this man who is paralyzed, the, the root issue is sin, and Jesus forgave that, and for his friends. Jesus will get down to what's really going on with us. And so when it comes to showing our faith in Him, we, we can't just want circumstances to get better. That's not really showing faith. Jesus Christ has the power to change any human life. Sometimes the circumstances, are, that's just all we really want. We just want, we just want to feel better or uh, things to get easier or, or whatever it might be. When Jesus is like, you know what, I'm all about transformation of your life. And so in our prayers for one another, in our carrying one another to Jesus, a part of what we are going for is, like, do we want relief in circumstances sometimes? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we really want is through whatever, whatever the crisis is, whatever the difficult time is, what, whatever it is that has us on a mat or has us carrying someone else who is on a mat to Jesus trying to get to him, that we get down to what's really going on here. That we don't just want a band-aid to put on it. Jesus healed the physical later on because everyone was doubting it. He's like, oh, sure, you, know, you guys are probably thinking it's easier to say sins are forgiven because you can't prove it. So Jesus demonstrates his authority over both the physical and the spiritual. He, so he heals him. And, of course, the conclusion is, if he can heal a paralytic man, then he can probably forgive sins, too, because there's something special about this guy. Yeah, he heals the physical, but he really heals the spiritual. And that's our greatest need in our lives. And so by, by bringing people to Jesus, by us praying to Jesus, by that being what we really want, is, God, we want you to get down to the root issue. We want to know exactly what's causing all this, whatever's going on. Don't put a Band-Aid on it. We want deep healing. And whatever that looks like, we're up for it. The fourth thing, um, to, to display our faith to Jesus, we immerse ourselves in the truth that he's revealed. We make ourselves about the kingdom. We make ourselves about uh, the eternal things we sink into what he has already told us because we're showing him. We believe what you're telling us is true. So you immerse yourself in that when you're praying. You immerse yourself when you're talking with someone who's hurting and struggling and you're telling them the truth 
And you're having faith for them when they may not have faith for themselves. Because you believe that Jesus really has the power to change any human life. And the last thing that I would say is to submit to his authority. These men lowered their friend on a mat. They got him to Jesus and then they were like, Do your thing. That's what we do as well, you know. We bring our friends to, to, to Jesus in prayer and, and truth and in encouragement and whatever it takes. Or we get to him ourselves and, and you get there and you're focused and you're like, Jesus, you have the power to change any human life. You have the power to change my life. Your will be done. And you let him do what he wants to do, what he needs to do. That shows him our faith in him. It puts that on display, that humility to say, you know far better than I do. So in this case, Jesus saw it fit to heal the man and to forgive all of their sins. There are times for us when he chooses to heal us, physically or emotionally or you know, some of those kinds of things. And there are other times when, when he decides that that's not what he's going to do. Is a submission to him and how he wants to engage with us and meet us and care for us and tend to us. Sometimes it's slow, slow emotional healing instead of immediate. Sometimes it gets a little worse before it gets better. But at all times, when you're with Jesus, you're right where you need to be. And so submitting to that authority and letting him be your shepherd. That's what's important. So here we are. We're living life side by side with each other. And you got school, and you got families, and you got marriages, and you got kids, and you got jobs, and you got all this other kind of stuff going on as well. And then we come together here at Grace Baptist on Sundays, and then we scatter back out, you know. We gather in living rooms on Mondays or Tuesdays and we scatter back out. And as we live life, different stuff comes our way. And so whether you are the man on the mat or one of the friends, whether you need help or whether you're doing okay, getting to Jesus is the goal of our lives all the time. And He is there. He is here. At no point is he elsewhere. At no point is he distracted. That he's there to meet us with grace and with truth. And if we can be the kind of community that is also there to meet one another in grace and truth, then we're walking in the peace that he provides. And I believe we're walking in step with what he wants his church to look like. As, as messy as it can be sometimes, and as exhausting as it can be it's also very filling and joyful you know there's so much to it but isn't it great that we're not in it by ourselves that Christ in us is the hope of glory and he's put us in life with one another as well i just pray we'd be we would be faithful with that that we would not be clueless as we live life and so i don't know where it meets you 
But in our efforts to get to Jesus, you know, it's, well, there's a couple of things that are very easily accessible. I talked about prayer. I talked about the Bible. I talked about those kind of things. Um, another thing that he has given us as a way to, like, to get to him is the communion table. That he's given us this meal to take and take and take and take and take. And a part of the beauty of that is Jesus, like you think about Jesus standing there and he's offering us his body and his blood. And he's saying, you need this. And we look at that and we say, yeah, I, I need that. I, I continually need that over and over and over again. I need it, I need it, I need it. And he says, well, come on. And you say, okay. That even taking communion is a tangible way for us to get to Jesus, to the one that we need. And so when we sing in a few minutes, uh, John Ringo, one of our elders, is going to be over here, and he's going to be serving communion. And that's one, one way that you can respond. You don't have to come to the table. That's fine. But what a gift that is as well. Sometimes prayer is too, it's too ambiguous. or you know, Those things are you're like, I need something tangible. He's like, hey, here's a cracker and some juice. How's that? Right? But that's a part of the gift that he's given us. And so in a minute, John will be over here as we're singing and responding. And uh, this is the kind where you, you break off the cracker yourself and you dip it in the, in the juice. And he's going to tell you the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ poured out for you. So you break that, you dip that, you take that. But you need to understand this is Jesus offering it to you and you're saying yes. Maybe you need to sing. Maybe you need to come kneel here and pray. We've started doing this a little bit more in the last couple of months. I've just given you some options, you know. But if you, right now, if you need to get to Jesus, maybe it's through singing, maybe it's through praying, maybe it's through communion. Or maybe if there's someone that you know needs to be carried to Jesus, maybe now is a time for you to pray for them or sing on their behalf. Um, We're just going to spend our last few moments together singing and responding. We'll do two songs, and then John will come up and close us out. Uh, But I'll just encourage you uh, to keep the goal in mind. And whatever that needs to look like, let's do that. Because when we're done, you know, we dismiss and we go right back into the grind. So let's, let's stand together. We begin to sing. The communion table will be open. The front will be open for prayer. You can sit, you can stand, you can sing, you can stare, it doesn't matter. Let's, let me pray for us. God, thank you for, um, thank you for this very simple story that shows us some really deep things about you and your power, your authority over uh, our physical lives, our spiritual lives, your guidance of us in community. And God, whether it's the paralytic man who had the courage to ask for help or his friends that had the courage to, uh, to help their friend, whether he wanted it or not, I'm thankful for their example to us. I pray, God, that you would help us to have that kind of humility, that kind of faith in you. That kind of determination and knowing that getting to you um, is the most important thing every moment of every day. And so as we sing and as we 
respond in different ways. I pray that this would be a time where we interact with you, where we get to you, either for ourselves or for someone else, um, that we would respond in a way that honors you and is uh, lifting you up 